2: As many of us know, life doesn't always go according to our plan. And when that happens, we can be left scared, Frustrated and frazzled. Today's guest, Duff McDonald, has explored what he calls the precision paradox, the struggle between our desire for ease and our need to exert control. Duff joins us today to discuss how he let go of his attachment to precision so he could pursue the things that tickled him. Duff is a New York Times bestselling author who is a contributing editor at the New York Observer. He has written for Vanity Fair, Esquire, Fortune Time, and Newsweek, among other publications. Welcome, Duff. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Joan. Glad to be here.
2: So, Duff, you, like so many of us, used the time during the pandemic to examine life choices. During that time, what did you learn about yourself?
1: You know, it's uh, in early quarantine, when things got quiet, I suddenly found myself examining my life choices almost by accident. because the distractions, my ability to distract myself had been minimized, and suddenly it was just me sitting here with me, uh, as well as my wife. And the main thing I found, I was about to start my fifth book, and it was uh, essentially going to be a critical look at what I call our quantified society, how we quantify everything. Our knee-jerk reaction is to quantify things. And uh, in, in the midst of starting that book, I suddenly realized that I had spent most of my career criticizing other people and critici- and judging other people and saying, you people don't understand. I'm the one who understands. And I had a moment where a light bulb went on, uh, and it basically said to me, no, Duff, you're the one who doesn't understand. The point of, of this, of life itself, is not to go around telling other people what they're doing wrong. It's to figure out how to do it right. And when that hit me, it was like a frying pan in the face. I suddenly realized that I had spent most of my life Uh, looking at external things and judging them instead of looking inside and figuring out how to do this thing the right way.
2: And, you know, I'm listening to you, Duff, and and everything that you've just described. If you look around and, you know, you look at social media and you look at the different ways and places that we get information, that's all people do is say that, you know, I know everything. I'm the expert. And really what you described, boy, that is just such an important thing to realize and for all of us to understand.
1: You know, it's funny because my previous uh, two books ago, I wrote a book called The Golden Passport. It was about Harvard Business School and the culture of MBAs. And it was 600 pages of me telling other people what they were doing wrong. I was sitting in judgment. And after that, a friend of mine, Christian Lemieux, who is the founder of a, of a company called Dwell Studio. She's a designer. She asked me to write a book with her, and we wrote a book called Frictionless. And the ostensible goal was to uh, talk about what the future of business would be. And we got about six months into it, and we had a conversation where I said to her, I have no idea what the future of business is going to be. Do you? And we realized that we'd been going at it the wrong way, and we, we sort of turned the focus back to the present and said, who knows what the future's gonna be, right? Why bother trying to predict it? What you should do is figure out how to stay frictionless in the present so that you can respond to whatever comes your way. And after that book, that book came out in 2020, and I had been starting on this new one, and I suddenly realized I was doing the same thing again. I was telling other people what to think. And all the quiet of quarantine allowed me to start examining my own life choices And I realized that not only was I doing it wrong, but I was engaging in something called mirroring. I I was accusing other people of doing that exact thing that I was doing. And I was about to write a book saying, all you people are too focused on numbers, using numbers to make my point. So I was basically looking in a mirror, talking to myself without even realizing it. And when that happened, it suddenly hit me. I was like, you know what, I'm going to write a book about things that bring me joy and the surprise to me was i'd written five books before that point and in all of them none of them were about what brought me joy and i thought to myself who told me that i wasn't allowed to do that who told me that i was supposed to go around criticizing people right no one did i just sort of assumed somehow along the way that that's what i did and when i wrote when I, when I shifted gears and wrote about the things that made me happy, it was startling how much easier it was to write that kind of book, how much quicker it was to write that kind of book, and how much enthusiasm I could bring to the project. Now, standing back from it, I look at myself sometimes and say, how dumb can you be? It's obvious that you would have more fun writing about the things that are more fun for you. But as you say, I, have a, there's, I, don't, I don't think this is just me. I think a lot of us spend a lot of time focusing on things that irritate us to the exclusion of things that make us happy. And by doing so, we create our own reality. We create this reality of irritation. And I suddenly figured out how to break free of a prison of my own making. It was stunning.
2: So Duff, you, you just spoke about how when you shifted your attention to joy and, and things that made you happy, it was easier to write the book. But what have you seen happen in your life? What type of changes have occurred in the way that you deal with people and the way that you handle your professional life?
1: Oh, my God. It is, the list is endless, right? So by focusing on things that make me happy, right, both personally and professionally, uh, I have basically uh, increased my patience by an infinite degree. I, c- I can admit now that I was never known for having a deep reservoir of patience. I have one now. My relationships have all, for the most part, deepened. My ability to focus on the task at hand, which is another way of just saying presence, has skyrocketed. I find that you know, at some point in the middle of last summer, I, would, I realized I was saying to my wife, oh, my God, I just read the best book I've ever read. And then I w- read another one and said, oh, my God, this is the best book I've ever read. Suddenly, I realized I was saying it consecutively over and over and over again. I was saying it about meals. You know, this is the best burger we've ever made. And I had a moment where I was like, what's happening to me? Are my standards going down? Right. Is, mm-hmm. is it like how can everything be the best? And then I was like, no, actually, what I'm doing is starting to enjoy everything to the maximum amount I can. And suddenly I was like, oh, no, the the latest book is – like if you read a good book, it is – the best book you've ever read because it's the latest thing you've fed to your brain, right? And the, the, la- the latest meal, if you put care and thinking into it that you've made, is obviously the best meal you've ever made because it's the latest gift you've given to yourself. And I realized, oh, my God, everything is great. And then I stepped back and said, how is that the case? And I realized that it was the most major shift of focus of all was the following, right? You exit if, if you contemplate for a moment the alternative, not existing, right, there's an infinite distance between those two, right? So the fact that we exist is a miracle, right? And then what we end up doing in our culture, me in particular, I plead completely guilty to it, is that we end up complaining about little facets of our existence, and we lose sight of the miracle of that existence itself, And by shifting out and realizing that I could keep my focus and consciousness on the glory of existence, suddenly nothing bothered me anymore. Um, And I'm about 18 months into feeling like this, and it is steady every day. Nothing phases me. It's the most wonderful period of my life I've ever been in.
2: And Duff, I started doing this work 11 years ago after going through a lot of personal turmoil. And I realized then, I I had seen a quote by Dr. Wayne Dyer that said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And so my work has been around changing your attitude and changing your life. And everything that you just described to us is exactly what I have experienced and what I've been devoting my life to teaching others.
1: Yeah, and you know, so my new book, which... uh was going to be called The Precision Paradox, as you said. I'd actually sold that book to HarperCollins. I scrapped that, and I wrote a book called Tickled, A Common Sense Guide to the Present Moment. And it is essentially my discovery of what you just said. You know, as someone who, who has made his way through most of his life and career uh, by virtue of intellect, right, by, by, by using my intellect to figure things out, I suddenly realized, oh, no, all all that time I was dismissive of people who said, oh, you could just change your attitude and change everything. You know, 10 years ago, if you'd said that to me, I would have said, get out of here. I don't want (laughs) to talk to you. That's absurd. Right. right? You cannot change the objective world. And like what happened to me last year is I suddenly realized that there is no such thing as objectivity. Everything comes filtered through the lens of your experience and your consciousness. So everything is within your control, everything. And stumbling on that, it's like, oh, wow. So life really is what you make it. And suddenly I realized that all these things that I thought were cliche or overcooked figures of speech, I suddenly realized, oh, my God, it's all literal. Love is everywhere. Love is all you need. All these things that I would have laughed at, I suddenly realized where people like you, people like Oprah, people like Deepak, all these other folks have been trying to tell the rest of us who haven't been, I wouldn't say we're not all listening. We can't hear the message, right? A lot of people just can't hear it. And suddenly I could hear it loud and clear. And it was, it was an awakening, pure and simple.
2: You know, and I think, Duff, it happens when you get to this point in your life, like you said, you took this examination of yourself. You said, this isn't the way I want to be living and thinking anymore. It no longer served you. Because I was the same type of person, very intellectual. I didn't think about thinking. I was just in the motion of life. And really, it took for me to get knocked to my knees and say, I can't go on this way anymore. And I needed to change everything about my life. And, you know, like you said, those old sayings about looking at the glass half full, when you live in gratitude and you live in joy, you don't want to hurt other people. You don't want to judge other people. You, you said, like, you know, we, we can go on with the cliches, but they really are truthful. Yeah,
1: and you know what's amazing is my wife is, is one of the most wonderful human beings I've ever met. We actually got married. She's my second wife. We got married last year in August during uh, quarantine to try to send some joy out into the world. And one thing that she's shown me is that if you are tickled, right, if you're tickled with your own existence— you cannot help but tickle other people, right? So what you need to do is work on you. You don't need to solve other people. You don't need to tell them how they're supposed to think. You don't need to figure out what everyone else is doing wrong. What you need to do is solve yourself. And if you do that, then you will emanate an energy that draws people to you. And I, I, at, at risk of sounding, uh, you know, over complimenting myself, I'm a pretty funny guy. I always thought people liked to be around me because I was funny. And that mm-hmm. was true to an extent. But what I found in the last year and a half, especially with my wife, is people like being around me now because I'm happy. Right. I'm, I still try to crack those jokes. But the draw is not uh, something that's coming out of the intellect again. The draw is something that's coming out of the heart. And um, it is my relationship, you know, not only with the, the things and the, and the um, events around me, but the people, it's, it's, it's changed fundamentally. It is, as you say, it's, I'm finally engaging in this uh, exchange of joy, right, as opposed to whatever else I thought I was transacting in before. And it turns out it's the only currency there really is of any value, and to suddenly realize that, you know, I turned 50 last year, and to be, to be, you know, call it halfway through life, I'm planning to live to 120. But the, to, to be halfway through and suddenly to have a light go on and go, oh, my God, I haven't been doing this right, uh, it, there's no regret in it. It's just delight. It's like oh, the rest of this is going to be so much more fun than the parts leading up to this revelation. It's amazing.
2: And you know, when, when you look at this pandemic, there were so many horrific things that came from it. But I think this is one of the blessings that we had time to sit with ourselves and find out what's really important in life.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I say one thing in, in the book Tickled. that was like, why do we do the stupid things we do individually? Why do you do your stupid things? Why do I do my stupid things? One of the reasons, it's because that's the way we've been doing them. And in a uh, in a society that sort of lives in a, in a state of uh, being in a rush, things, we always have things to do tomorrow. We all sort of find it hard to, to stop and reevaluate all these things that are silly that we kind of know, right? If we actually examined them, we know they're sort of silly. And last year, just for even one brief moment, we all stopped. And the likelihood of you continuing to do all the silly things you used to do from a fresh start is much lower. So I, I, I make a suggestion in the book that there are all these different things last year that I started doing differently. And I think that probably applies to almost every single person who is alive on this planet that we probably shed one, two if not several of the things we knew we shouldn't be doing but we just never had time to stop and examine and hit reset, right? It was like a hard reset for all of us. And it was as you say, it was a it was a scary time for many, a lot of people have lost loved ones, but for those of us who remain, the 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 quarantine and quiet and self-examination that covid made possible Maybe one of the greatest blessings that humanity has ever experienced.
2: What do you advise someone do to get started on this journey to find what tickles him or her?
1: So I think there's a couple things that uh, would be useful for anyone. and the, the, the number one by but you know w- with almost no comparison is to try to start meditating. And uh, y- you know you can find a million resources on how to meditate online. Uh, and but basically, it's to give yourself some quiet time every day. Five or ten minutes is all you need to start. Another thing is yoga, right? Hatha yoga, uh, which is which is kind of a moving meditation, and it's it's basically me- helping you become aware of your body. And it's not difficult exercise. You can find any any levels you want online. So many for free, and it's to get you in touch with how you're feeling physically. Humor. Right. We should try to laugh more. Right. Where, where as, as we said at the beginning of this conversation, everybody's telling everybody else what to do. We got to try to let that go. I was, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. And, you know, one that Joey, my wife taught me is love more. You know, she, I said, I said, I thought these things were cliches, but at, at this point in time, I think the universe is made of love, right? So anytime you're in a situation where something doesn't seem right. The, the reason that is so is because there is a deficiency of love. So wherever something isn't working, send some love at it. You will solve the problem, right? So love more. It is the answer to everything. We think by using our intellects that we can sort of sort things out and figure things out and science is going to tell us the answer to everything. That is not so, right? We know what the answer is, and it's love. So, you know, love yourself first. As I said, it teaches you to tickle yourself, and then that'll help you to just tickle other people. It's, it's contagious, you know. I had to make a comparison like that, but it's, it's viral. Tickles go viral. They're like giggling, right? And so the more focus you can put on loving yourself, the more valuable you're gonna be to the people around you.
2: The book is Tickle, a Common Sense Guide to the Present Moment If you'd like to get more information about Duff and his work, you can visit theduffproject.com. Duff, thank you so much for joining us today. What a wonderful message you shared.
1: Thank you for having me and thank you for giving me the chance to talk about it. I really appreciate it.
2: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Did you know that athlete's foot can spread to other parts of the skin, including hands, groin, and scalp? Hi, I am Dr. Anant Joshi, dietrist practicing in Woodland Park, New Jersey, at Advanced Foot Care of NJ LLC. Athlete's foot is a fungal infection of the skin, including between the toes. The fungus tends to thrive in warm, damp areas and can cause itching, cracking, blistering, and peeling of the feet. It's important to keep your feet clean and dry. Antifungal treatments in the form of sprays, powders, or lotions to apply to your feet are available in most drugstores. If the fungus is spreading or worsening after treatment, a person should see their doctor who can prescribe oral antifungal medications for the condition. If you'd like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com.
2: the founder and creator of Fine Body Freedom, a program developed for women who want to change their relationship with their bodies. For over three decades, Eileen battled with her own issues with body image, weight, and her relationship with food. After trying every diet on the market, she realized that the answers to her struggles were right inside her body. Since then, Eileen has been working with women to guide them to discover their own innate body wisdom and to find body freedom. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad to be here, Joan. Thank you. So, Eileen, Madison Avenue is not known for portraying a realistic image of women. How has the advertising industry framed the way many women see themselves? Oh, goodness.
3: What a question. It's a wonderful question, uh, because we have absorbed the messages as real and true. So, for the last, oh, let's say uh, 50 years, with very few exceptions, Madison Avenue has framed women or has um, depicted women as primarily thin uh, in the media, on the runways, thin, or at times even very thin, and at times even exceptionally thin. So that sometimes we're looking at these images and asking, oh my goodness, does this person have an eating disorder because they're so thin? Yet, right alongside of that, since we have absorbed these messages, what's happening is for many women, we take them in and say, I should look like that. Not even, I want to look like that. And then we take the steps in whatever way, to achieve that thin, very thin, or exceptionally thin look.
2: What's so interesting, Eileen, is that we recognize the problem, and many of us understand its impact, and yet we struggle to free ourselves from it. So what do you think we can be doing to help us feel better about ourselves?
3: Uh, well, okay, so I'll give you the, um, the unrealistic uh, answer first. Uh, Don't watch TV, don't go on social media, don't uh, watch a movie, uh, go to the theater to watch a movie, don't open a magazine. But, of course, all of those things are not particularly realistic unless, of course, we make a choice to totally go off the grid. All right, so I'm not going to focus on stop absorbing the images and the message behind the images because uh, I have not found that in either my life or in the lives of most of the women I've worked with to be particularly helpful. What I have found very, very, very helpful in my own life and in the lives of so many of the women I've worked with over the years is when we start taking care of our bodies, When we listen to our bodies, when we feed them nutritiously, when we exercise them regularly, when we get enough sleep because that's part of taking care of one's body, when we engage in positive social interactions to keep us connected, those are the things that shift our way of seeing ourselves. So I'm going to be specific with you here about me, Joan, for a minute. I noticed, and I didn't have, uh, I only had anecdotal information at the time, and I was one of those anecdotes. But now there's actual data, scientific data, that says that this is indeed true. When we are feeding ourselves in a way that nourishes the body, responding to body messages, true messages about hunger, true messages about satiety. We see ourselves differently. We actually start to look at the reflection in the mirror that is coming back at us and saying, hmm, I'm liking what I'm seeing. So this is my point here, that when we focus on our bodies, When we are taking care of our bodies, we like our bodies more and more. And it's a very positive loop that can become repetitive day after day after day and ultimately lifts our self-esteem, lifts our body positivity and all of the things that are attached to feeling good about ourselves.
2: So, Eileen, what you just described are the things that we can do to control ourselves. But is there anything that we as women can do to change the way media or advertising portray women? Oh, I wish I had the uh, quick answer for you, Joan, but I don't. But I'm going
3: to start with, since most of us do watch some TV, uh, I think it is changing. And uh, I just uh, last week, actually posted in my uh, Find Body Freedom uh, Facebook group um, an advertising message from Old Navy. And in it, there were four or five um, uh, images of women from the waist down, some of them large and round, some of them um, smaller, some of them a lot smaller. But the point is, they're advertising Old Navy uh, leggings. And I'm using Old Navy as an example. There are lots of other companies that are doing the same thing now. They're incorporating more body diversity, larger women into their advertising. I think this is very positive and very healthy, and it's not enough yet. So what can we do? What can to help them do more? We can purchase from companies that, um, express their desire to incorporate body diversity into their advertising or marketing messages we cannot or stop purchasing from companies that don't there are some companies and i'm not going to mention any who will actually come out and say we're not interested in showing large women because we don't believe large women should wear our products or look good in our products. And so uh, when we know this or when we don't see body diversity, stop purchasing from companies who don't express that, not just in their words, but in their deeds. So I would say that because money matters and, um, you know, advertisers and marketers don't want to be hurt in their pockets.
2: And sometimes we forget the power that we have. If you would like to learn more about Eileen and her work, you can visit her website, findbodyfreedom.com. Or as always, to hear more from Eileen, you can visit our website, dot com slash Eileen. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you, Joan. I loved being here with you.
2: We'll be right back. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book, So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. to conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, Jeffrey Antonucci, went from being a bricklayer to a published author who has launched an advocacy titled Love and Peace A Sign for Our Times. Through this initiative, Jeffrey works to spread positive messages of love, peace, and inspiration. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for coming back on the show again. Thank you, Joan. It's wonderful to be back. Jeffrey, I'm so excited about this three-part series that we're doing because your love and peace initiative, I mean, it really is such an important topic. So very briefly, can you once again explain the mission of this advocacy and tell us the five loves upon which it is based?
4: Absolutely. So the mission of my love and peace assigned for our times advocacy is to be recognized globally as the driving force for the spreading of love and peace by fostering charitable initiatives that greatly improve the lives of those in need, the state of our human condition, and the health of our environment. This advocacy is symbolized by an unpretentious, non-threatening three-finger hand sign that becomes known and used universally, spreading the messages of this advocacy and its mission out to a world in need. And we get there, Joan, by implementing the five loves, which are to, one, love, honor, and respect yourself. Two, love, honor, and respect what you do and the love you bestow. Three, love your time at rest, absorbing and embracing the loving world around you. Four, love, honor, respect, and heal Mother Earth. And five, love, honor, and respect each other and celebrate our similarities and differences.
2: Jeffrey, why do you feel that it's so important for this positive message to be spread around the world?
4: Joan, I'm sorry to say, but it's because of the sad state of our world and our human condition. I speak to this in my original blog, introducing this hand sign and advocacy back in 2019. I thought we were facing some very tough challenges then. That was before COVID-19 and so many other tragic events that have occurred since that's caused us all such distress. My challenge, Joan, is that I don't see anyone doing anything constructive to alter this course we're sailing on so we can improve things and chart a course to a better world. Why is this so important to you? It's because I know in my heart that this mission, vision, and values of this advocacy can provide us with a roadmap that will lead us to that better world by harnessing the power of love based on the inspiration I gained and things I experienced while working in construction as a bricklayer, believe it or not, where I saw firsthand the good that can be accomplished when people of all different backgrounds and skill sets come together and work a common goal. That's how we built schools and hospitals and all types of commercial, industrial, and residential products. And Joan, I even experienced it firsthand in the making of a YouTube video I launched in July of 2020 titled New Year in July, a global love and peace celebration tour. It was based on a concept that took the Christmas in July idea to this New Year in July idea to represent a fresh start and to gain inspiration, healing, and hope for a better second half of 2020 and beyond. This concept was based on the spreading of love and peace around the world using the three-finger hand sign by way of the various time zones that exist, starting in the very first place on Earth where New Year rings in, which happens to be a remote island, zone in the Pacific called Teratamati Island, which is actually pronounced Christmas Island. The video depicts young people and children displaying the three finger hand sign and offering expressions of what love and peace mean to them. And in TikTok fashion, passing the three finger hand sign onto their counterparts in the next country in line. We actually ended up having young people and children who I refer to in the video as amazing ambassadors of love and peace and perfect purveyors of goodwill Inspiration and healing participate from the 22 of the 24 inhabited time zones that span the globe. But, Joan, talk about being inspired. Everyone I contacted were kind, generous with their time, and across the board loved the idea of helping spread the messages of love and peace. Here again, people coming together, working toward a common goal, and what better goals in spreading love and peace? Joan, I have to tell you that experience totally restored my faith in humanity.
2: Jeffrey, where can we view this video?
4: Your listeners can view the video by searching on YouTube the title, New Year in July, a global love and peace celebration tour.
2: Jeffrey, you speak a lot about love and the power of love. In your view, where do you think love comes from?
4: Before any of this came to me, Joan, I would have answered you by saying that love comes from our heart. Now I say love comes through our hearts, not from our hearts. Joan, I'll explain the difference this way. You're in your kitchen by your faucet, and you want to fill a glass with water. You turn on your faucet, and water pours out, filling your glass. The water doesn't come from the faucet. It comes from a source of water, and from that source, it flows through your faucet and into your glass. In my view, Joan, is that love works the same way. Love comes from a source and flows through our hearts. And that source of love is pure and infinite and is in all of us. And I say it's the very same power of love that drives the entire universe. Now, back to the source of water for a second. Where is that source of water? If you think about it, the very source of that water is located in the pure, unseen particles of vapor in our atmosphere that then accumulate in clouds that produce the rains and so on from there. But, Joan, the challenge is, is that those particles of vapor can become contaminated with impurities like acid and lead by the time they come through our faucets. Those contaminants can cause us harm. That's why we need to treat our drinking water to try and get it back to the pure state where it can provide our bodies with its most beneficial qualities. But those efforts aren't always successful. Joan, I believe that the source of love comes from a beautiful, unseen, serene place beyond the beatings of our hearts. And as I said, it's pure and infinite. But like the water, that love too can become contaminated with impurities by the time it comes through our hearts. And those contaminants can cause us and our society at large, great harm and much distress. Joan, just imagine all the good we can do and how wonderful our world would be if we could simply keep that love free of the contaminant and allow it to flow pure and infinite through our hearts.
2: Jeffrey, can you give us an example of love being contaminated?
4: I sure can. Joan, in our previous interview, I described how the hand sign came by me first flashing the letter L with my fingers and saying that that L sign stood for L for loser and that that was a bad thing and shouldn't be. So I changed it right then and there to represent L for love and then incorporated the peace sign to give me this three-finger hand sign for love and peace. My thoughts went to the person who came up with the L for loser sign in the first place that person spent their time, energy, and brain function to come up with a sign that sole purpose was to bring another person down. That person allowed the pure messages of love flowing through their heart at that time to become contaminated when they could have very easily allowed that pure love to flow and come up with an uplifting, inspiring sign for love and peace like I did. Quick, easy, and compassionate. That's how love works if we allow it to. Joan, I believe by viewing things this way, we can strive to prevent impurities from contaminating the awesome, pure, and infinite power of love. We need, now more than ever, to harness that power as it flows through our hearts to do only good and right, and together construct love-based, peaceful platforms from which we diffuse confrontations, settle our differences, restore our environment, and ultimately remove turmoil and strife from our lives and our world. Joan, unfortunately, I can go on forever giving examples of love being contaminated. We see and hear about them every day on the news, all causing us such turmoil, strife, and discourse, all caused by hate, and all hate dictates. That's what contaminated love is. It's hate. And once hate is out there, it can't self-correct and become something good. Hate can only hate and begets more hate.
2: Jeffrey, with everything you just described and with all the challenges we face today, do you have hope for a better tomorrow?
4: I certainly do, Joan. I firmly believe with all my heart that we can make our world a better place. I know we have at our disposal the awesome arsenals of this infinite power of love, armed with megatons of compassion that we can bring to bear to eradicate hate and all hate, dictate and create that loving, peaceful world for all people and all things that we all long for. I say we make it our goal to create that loving, peaceful world for all people and all things by starting a movement that uses This three finger hand sign as a banner to unite people from all around the world to work toward accomplishing this great and common goal. I firmly believe we have within us all the tools and mechanisms it takes to accomplish this goal, along with a roadmap to follow in the form of my love and peace, a sign for our times advocacy.
2: Jeffrey, you're coming back next month for the third part of this series. What will we be talking about?
4: So we'll be discussing concrete measures for us to take that will allow us to accomplish this very honorable and necessary goal of creating a loving, peaceful world. Because, Joan, it's going to take work, but I know we can do it.
2: Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to you coming back next month. If our listeners would like to learn more about Jeffrey and his work, you can visit loveandpeace.life. Once again, Jeffrey, thank you.
4: My absolute pleasure,
2: Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
5: If you're a small business and doing your own social media, you may be wondering why you don't have more followers. You may think, don't people want to buy what I'm offering? This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. We used to keep our private business private. Now we're encouraged to put ourselves out there on social media. This may be uncomfortable for some of us. I know I'm not that crazy about giving people I don't know all my personal details. This may sound funny coming from a person who makes a living on social media. But here's the thing. Social media is like a cocktail party. If you go to a party and the person who invited you doesn't do anything but try to sell you something, that is probably a party you wouldn't want to go back to. So, like a cocktail party, social media is an opportunity to have your customers get to know you and understand your passion for your business. You don't have to give them your kids' names or where you live, but you do have to tell them why your business is important to you. And ultimately, to them. Why did you get into this business? And most importantly, why are you different from anyone else? That gives your followers a reason to spend their money with you. If there were a few hundred people calling your business to learn more about you and hear about you, you would be thrilled. So why aren't you thrilled with a hundred or more followers on social media? Give that some thought the next time you're looking at your number of followers. If you need help with your social media for your business, give us a call. You can check out our website at smcventures.biz or visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn.
2: Productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our coach on call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today is Linda Mitchell, a certified transition coach, reinvention expert, and speaker who empowers people that are stuck, overwhelmed, or ready for change to release to struggle, gain clarity, and evolve to their highest purpose as they move through life's challenges and transitions. Linda is here today to discuss avoiding a victim mentality and unleashing your personal power. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us.
6: Thanks, Joan. It's always so great to be here.
2: So, Linda, you know my work is around changing your attitude and changing your life. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that no one is immune to negative thinking. But if it becomes a habit, what do you believe happens to us? How does it limit us and how does it impact the results we get in life?
6: Well, you know, you're right. We, we can't all be 100% positive all the time and at some point we do find ourselves imagining the worst case scenario it's just human nature now i don't suggest we be a pollyanna or that person who's always spouting fake positivity because frankly that could be annoying but the opposite always thinking negatively really does impact every area of our lives It's a mental drain. It affects our personal lives, our professional goals, our friendships, really all relationships, and even our finances. Because constantly expecting the worst or always thinking negatively is like a cancer to our spirit. It limits what we believe is possible. It limits what we believe we can truly achieve. And it sets us up to feel a lot more stress because there's this big gap between what we want and what we are actually experiencing. This kind of thinking puts us in the victim mode. We're effectively letting other people and circumstances control our thinking, our actions, our expectations, and even the outcomes we experience. So eventually you begin to feel sorry for yourself and that really keeps you from enjoying life to the fullest.
2: So unfortunately, we as human beings our ancestors, you know, we we had to look at the negative aspect of everything for survival. But the problem, as you say, is that we can get stuck doing that today. And I want to focus a little bit more on that victim mentality, because I think so many people get stuck there. So tell us a little bit more about the victim mentality, and how it keeps us from living our fullest potential. Yeah, well, the first thing I
6: think I should say is that we have all slipped into victim mentality at one point or another, right? And we may all unwittingly find ourselves there again. That's not what's important. What is important is recognizing it when you find yourself there. So you can quickly move out of it. A victim mentality is a belief or a set of beliefs that you cannot have, do or be what you want because of others around you, other circumstances, others' personalities, others' actions, thoughts, or those external circumstances. It's a state of allowing other people and situations to control your life, your decisions, your expectations. Being stuck in victim mentality means you are effectively giving your power away. If you feel that you're stuck or you can't move forward because others are always doing something that keeps you down, or there's a circumstance that you believe you can't move beyond, you may have fallen into the trap of victim mentality. This has a huge impact on your ability to succeed and traps you in this cycle of stagnation, unhappiness, sometimes even physical pain, definitely stress and self-doubt. Here's the biggest indicator that you're stuck there, you tolerate things that aren't working for you or you believe you can't take responsibility for your own circumstances, your own life circumstances. When you see unhealthy patterns repeating themselves or you feel like there's nothing you can do that you can help to resolve the situation you're in or the challenges you're facing, this is the state or feeling of powerlessness, But here's the good news, John, because we've almost all been there at one point, with some guidance, we all can transition out of it.
2: Let's talk about what some of that guidance is. So first, we need to recognize that we even have this pattern, that this is what we tend to do. Once we recognize it, how do we then take back our personal power? Yes. And what you said in
6: the beginning, you know, thinking positively, changing our attitudes, that is a foundational piece of this training yourself to let go of those negative thought patterns and choosing more positive ones is a great first step. And then I always tell people to be aware of all the good that's actually happening in their lives. Sometimes we get so mired in the negative that we forget or we just take for granted all the good around us. So I really encourage people to count their blessings instead of their burdens. And secondly, recognize that you do have the power to change your own thoughts. You know, it's fine to seek out a network of positive people to help, support your new way of thinking, but you've got to start to own your inner courage. You do have the power to liberate yourself. Another important step is to watch your language. Words have so much power. We need to stop telling ourselves all the reasons why we think we can't do something and start visualizing and verbalizing all the reasons why we can. And the next piece, is really important because it's the most empowering. It's all about taking your personal responsibility. When you stop blaming your bad luck, you know, a family member or others for the predicament, you move much closer to eliminating that victim mentality. Once you start taking responsibility and some action steps, you feel more in control and you'll no longer be at the mercy of others. This is truly empowering. We need to take actions that show others how we want to be treated, and express what isn't working and how we'd like things to change. Anytime you're trying to make a positive change, it's important to practice self-compassion and use stress-relieving techniques. The ability to manage your stress will help you create a new mindset that's stronger, healthier, and more empowered. Move your body regularly. Honor that connection between your body and your mind. It's easier to feel enthusiastic and hopeful when you're eating healthier, exercising more regularly, and sleeping well. There's hundreds of effective stress-relieving techniques, so find what works for you and practice it daily. As you begin to experiment with this, you'll feel more in control, you'll stop blaming things on your bad luck, and you'll become much more self-confident as you change your mindset. It's so empowering to get out of the old victim mentality and start taking back your own personal power and control of your life, your thoughts your actions, and the results you get. And if you feel you can't do this alone, find a coach or an accountability partner to help you bust out of those old beliefs that are holding you back from feeling the joy, the peace, and the liberation that
2: you deserve. Linda, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Often we feel so powerless, and this is a wonderful reminder that there is so much that each one of us can do to take back our personal power. So thank you for being here. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com Linda.